Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read, You Absolute Legends. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Heights and Heights, the all-in-one brain care supplement. A Need to Read is all about making yourself better in many ways like reading, meditating, taking supplements that are going to fully nourish your brain is the newest thing here. I've been taking Heights for about three months and my anxiety is reduced, my focus is improved and my sleep has improved. If you think that you're not currently sufficiently nourishing your brain, then head to the link in the description, use the code need to read with the number two and not the word and you will get 10% off of any subscription with them, which means it's about a pound a day over three months to feel your best. And the discount code again is need to read. Now, in this podcast episode today, I speak with Richard Wright Wiseman. He is one of the UK's leading psychologists, and he has the only UK professorship in the public understanding of psychology. Like I say, I've recently come across his book, The Luck Factor, and he has actually sold three million copies of books that he has written. He's also written books called Quirkology, which looks at very weird and wonderful parts of psychology, interesting statistics, paranormality, which looks at the paranormal, and more recently, Shoot for the Moon, which is about the moon landing and how we can take lessons from that and transfer that into success in our own lives. His most recent book is about the history of magic with David Copperfields, because he spent a lot of time in the magic circle, and we speak about that in this podcast today. But hopefully you enjoy this podcast. If you would be a legend, please do share it with someone. There is a lot to learn from this, specifically learning how to be luckier in your own life, which I'm sure we could use an extra dose of. So without further ado, here is the conversation that I had with Richard Wiseman, which just so happens to be one of the most interesting conversations I've had with someone in my life. And I'm very honoured to have had the opportunity to chat to him today. It's been my pleasure to have recently come across your work and I've just read The Luck Factor. So I know that was a a book that you wrote back in, in 2001 but you've got quite a lot of other work that, that I have. Be I've been inflicting myself it? upon people every other year yes <laughs> yeah it seems like you've got a hell of an output um but the luck luck is what has has caught my attention so it'd be only right to talk about that to begin with um what was it that made you so interested in luck to begin with I think very early on, I was doing work on the paranormal and we were talking to people about their beliefs and experiences. And then there was a, a colleague of mine who was, was carrying out some research into why you know people experience significant events in their lives, you know, ending up in certain partners, living in certain parts of the country and so on. And I helped them out with some of that research. And as I was talking to people, these two words would come up again and again you know people would say oh, i was very lucky or i was very unlucky and of course it's a kind of magical concept so it, it kind of fitted into some of the previous paranormal work but felt very different in that yeah. most people have some kind of semblance of, of a belief about whether they're lucky or unlucky or whether luck has played a key role in their lives and i just became very curious no one had really done very much into the, the topic at that point that's 20 years ago now um and and so i was just very curious and decided to conduct that research myself yeah yeah amazing and you had one one experiment that i've been well and truly butchering recently trying to tell as many people as i can about it is your experiment around in the newspapers mm. um would you just be able to touch on that one just to explain it for the people listening yeah so that was about opportunities and so our lucky people would say, oh, I get all these opportunities. Our unlucky people would say, I never get a break. And so we wanted to try and test that experimentally. 
And the idea was very straightforward. We had people come into the lab, flick through a newspaper and count the number of photographs or images in the newspaper, which is a you know, fairly tedious thing to do. Yeah. What we didn't tell them was that there were two opportunities, if you like, uh, hidden in the newspaper, except they weren't really hidden. They were half a page adverts. One of them said, stop counting. Uh, there are 53 photographs in here. And the other one said, tell the experimenter you've seen this and win £100. And what we noticed was that the lucky people tended to spot those and the unlucky people tended to miss them. And it's a very good example, very simple example of how we kind of create much of the luck or bad luck in our lives by the way we're thinking and behaving, but don't realize that's the case. You know, they yeah. didn't realize that what, what was really going on. What is going on there is that when you're in a good mood and you're relaxed and cheerful, what's called your attentional spotlight, literally how much you see of the world, is broadened. And as you're more likely to spot these things, when you become worried and anxious, as lots of our unlucky people were, that attentional spotlight is narrowed right down to the task you're trying to complete, which was counting photographs. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a nice piece of psychology, and it, and it kind of um, symbolizes what we were about, which is the way in which your, your thoughts and your behavior create good and bad luck in your life. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's, it's very interesting, because I think nowadays it's, it's your research into luck is popularized and also sort of completely changed into manifesting and, and people sort of manifesting a life. Has, has that been sort of looked upon much by yourself or your team at all? The sort of the magical uh, side manifesting, of manifesting as in like writing down about your red Ferrari every single day. And then all of a sudden you have one 20 years down the line and, and you've manifested it. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't be a fan of that approach. So I wouldn't either. I don't know if yeah, so yeah, I'm on, I'm on your side. <laughs> There's a few things there. I mean, I, I think if you're manifesting goods uh, like that, it's probably not the happiest life because what <laughs> goods tell us is that once you've got that red Ferrari, you want a bigger one the next year yeah. or a better one or whatever. Um, and, and second, I, I, I'm very much about people kind of trying to take control as much as they can of their lives. And if you start to buy into that sort of magical thinking, then the evidence is that actually those things are less likely to come true than if you just take control and go, this is under my control, there are things I need to do. So, you know, that sort of task makes you feel good, but it isn't associated with those things actually appearing in your life. So I, my, my take is very slightly different. It's about trying to understand the psychology of it rather than something sort of genuinely magical. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, I, I love the fact that you looked at the psychology of it. And, and one of the best bits that I remember from your book is that you have to relax and then you do something. And it's part of the, the maximizing opportunities of the four sort of factors of um, luck. And I think for myself, I've always been quite, well, over the last few years, I don't know what happened in my 20s, but I turned into quite an anxious person, so quite neurotic. And I think reading your book, it's really opened up my mind to, if I just focus on opening myself up more, more quote-unquote lucky things will start sort of coming in my direction. Is Where has that been found sort of in, in the studies for you? Well, I think there's a few things going on there. One is that when we do become anxious and worried, as I say, that attentional spotlight gets very small, but second, we become very inflexible. So you can often get stuck in a rut. You believe there's only one way of doing something. And if that way doesn't work out for you, you can get very upset and frustrated. I think the lucky mindset is far more flexible. Often you know 
what you're trying to achieve in life, what you're not certain about, because life is uncertain, is is how you're going to get there. And if the wind yeah. blows in one direction, in some ways, you're better off setting your sails and, and going with that. So I think it's about being open to that flexibility rather than trying to to kind of fight life, which is often the way of people that are, that are overly anxious. So I think yeah. there is something to be gained from listening to your intuition, to going with the flow, to certainly having quite a relaxed attitude as far as you can, um, rather than this kind of very heavy goal setting, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to do it, and if anyone gets in my way, I'm going to push them out of my way, and that's my only plan. That, that yeah. probably isn't going to be quite so successful in a, in a complicated world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I noticed on whilst I was flicking through your website, there's a study that you've done on like a self-perceived high intuitiveness. I, I know you've done a lot of work and it, it might be like asking me a conversation that I had two or three years ago. I don't know if you'd remember it specifically. Um, but that was with um, uh, one of my PhD students, Paul Rogers, actually. And uh, there we were looking at people who consider themselves highly intuitive. I can't remember what the task was in that particular paper because we did quite a few uh, of those studies. But certainly yeah. we looked at people who are in intuitive. And in terms of luck work, uh, it is the lucky people that describe themselves as intuitive, as having those gut feelings, not always following them. I mean, sometimes it's a bad idea, but I, I think when you do have that gut feeling, that kind of lucky hunch, it, it's good to treat it as an alarm bell, a reason to kind of stop and consider the situation. What's interesting about the unlucky people is they didn't have those alarm bells. They, they rarely reported intuitive feelings, which is kind of wow. curious. So, yeah, asking yourself where that intuition comes from is it based on past experience you know is there something there where you've got some genuine expertise which is bubbling up and telling you hold on a second this doesn't feel right um i think it's just a, a good move to to stop and consider that yeah yeah definitely it's some um, it's it's quite funny about being being open and the other side of your life that isn't a super successful psychologist is the the magic side of things and you've been pushing yourself into that world since you're about eight years old. Do you think being a magician and having to sort of force yourself out there from, from a young age or, or wanting to and being a willing participant in that has had a big part to play in the luck in your life? Oh, I think so. I mean, magic is a very, very strange world for all sorts of reasons. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on. One is that you have to be reasonably sociable because you're performing, which is a good skill in terms of luck because you connect with others, you get that social network, which not only provides you with opportunities, but then can kind of quite be quite comforting when problems come along. Second, it's a very, very close-knit community. Yeah. And so I can go pretty much anywhere in the world and there will be magicians I know there and all of my best friends going back sort of 30 years or so on. Oh, tend to nice. be magicians so you know it's 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 very closed but i think magic teaches some other skill sets as well you know in terms of going out and performing it's fine but also you've got to spend a lot of time practicing rehearsing and thinking how the world looks from someone else's perspective you know you know about the trap door or the smokes and the mirrors they don't and that i think creates a, a, an ability to, to then go hold on a minute I, I can't just go through life looking at it from my own perspective. What? How can I interact with others so that it's a win-win? What do they yeah. want out of this? And again, that's absolutely key uh, to a lucky life. 
you know, uh, lucky people were, were team players. They were, they were always trying to get the win-win for everyone, not just about themselves. And I think magic encourages that, that kind of mindset. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely seems like you well, you need participants to to have a have a magic trick. Have you um have you missed it like whilst you're going along with your psychology experiments and the mass amount of work that you do there, or do you incorporate it quite heavily into your life still just to keep keep it? Oh, up? yeah. I think when, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to become a professional magician. I did work professionally for a little while and it turned out that that really wasn't a great way of earning a living. It's very stressful. It's very hard work. And, and so I moved away from it quite rapidly and started to, I got into psychology because of magic, you know, and, and yeah. so I, I haven't been a, a professional magician for many, many, many years, but I'm heavily involved in the community. I create magic for some quite well-known magicians. I've just written a book on the history of magic with um, David Copperfield. So, oh, wow. you know, I, I, I'm still involved in the area. And it helps you to think quite flexibly and quite laterally because every magic trick is normally based on on lateral thinking. So do I miss it? Absolutely not. Um, I still use it, you know, up until the pandemic, I was going out giving talks all of the yeah. time. Uh, and I, I miss not giving those, but those are all kind of little mini performances. And so, yeah, I, I, I kind of miss standing in front of people. Um, but, you know, the, the books allow you to do that. In, in, in a way because you, know, you have to write them and then you stick them out there and then people are kind enough to feedback and and so no i, I don't I haven't ever kind of missed magic i don't know the public have missed me performing it either <laughs> well yeah I've, I've heard a few of the tv experiments um that people have done so you never know there's space for it um in, <laughs> in terms of like being a magician there's a lot of that that it seems to be influencing the work that you do in psychology obviously we've spoken about the paranormality i'd like to um sort of touch on that again at some point but you've done quite a bit of work on lying and lying is something i'm quite interested in at the moment i've recently read sam harris's essay on lying essay short book um on lying for the second time because i think it's something you kind of need reminding to take out of your life every now and then um where has the interest come from with lying was it through magic and and where does that interest sort of lead you to what what are the findings that you've you've had with lying sorry that's a long question yeah no it's a good question i mean i'm certainly interested in deception because that's what magicians do they don't tend to lie what they tend to do is construct scenarios where they don't need to um so if you've got uh i mean a famous example if you've got a deck of cards and let's imagine they're all the same the last thing you ever want to do is walk out to an audience and say, I've got a perfectly ordinary deck of cards because people go, that's a weird thing to say. Can I have a look at them? And then they find out they're all the same. So what you do is just walk out and say, I've got a deck of cards here. And people just assume they're perfectly ordinary. So, so you, you tend to avoid lying and you deceive people by getting the, the, encouraging them to trip themselves up. Sins of omission. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, that's happening with magic all the time. Uh, albeit for the audience's benefit. I became interested in lying very early on when I went to University of Hertfordshire, um, just because you know, I was just interested in, in what signals people give off. I'm, I'm a social psychologist, so the signals that people give off when they lie and tell the truth. And that turned out to be enormously lucky interest because very early on, 
when I arrived at the university, uh, the BBC were wanting someone to do a, a sort of mass participation experiment. And they sent around this email to, to all universities asking for ideas. And on a whim, really, I replied saying, well, we could do a lying experiment where we got the politicians from the major political parties, the three of them then, um, to come on screen and lie and tell the truth people could vote which was the lie and we'd find out which political party had got the best liars this, and, was this a general um, election by any chance uh, well, yes that's essentially, essentially yes it's like, um and they, they chose that as the winning entry and that really oh. catapulted me into doing television and, and doing much more engagement work and we never ended up doing that experiment i ended up um interviewing sir robin day uh twice and uh, once he lied and once he told the truth we put it out to bbc uh radio and um television and then the daily telegraph so that was a big big platform for me very early on honestly yeah. on an email that quite frankly I, I could easily just not have sent you know it's just a fun idea that i had off the top of my head and it's it's often the case with luck you know it's the smallest of little chance encounters or emails that, that really change everything for you yeah I, I i think having this conversation with you today is quite a good example of that in an authors that i speak to for the podcast it comes from i'll read a book and i'll be halfway through the book i'm like right well i need to email this person just before i forget and i never really expect much of a reply because i think that's the best the best way to go about it is to just send send and forget and then maybe remember in three months time when you reach back out but i, I found sort of just sending chance things that i am willing to forget about my fortune has has gone up yeah, I mean, you, you've got to be in to win. So if you don't send those emails, it's unlikely that someone's going to write to you and say, hey, I've just published this book. So <laughs> I, I think all those things are, are, are kind of helpful. Um, and and people forget that. You know, they, they, they forget to reach out to others. And, and by being positive and, and, and showing sort of genuine passion in whatever you're interested in, you know, by putting yourself out there, you will attract like-minded people to you. And and yeah. and then that starts to become you know a little bit of a community, and you can start to build from there. So and you can do that now in a way that was tricky twenty years ago. You know, the internet yeah. and podcasts and all those sorts of things, websites allow for that. It's much easier now. Yeah, it's definitely the world's a much smaller place, even though we sometimes forget that that's the case, um, and and feel a little bit disconnected. But that's that's one of the nice things about your book is it it, it is essentially forcing people to or not forcing asking people to be more open potentially be more social and just getting themselves out there i think i was i was actually listening to um another interview with someone the other day and i was thinking about your book and i was like actually i don't know if there is a book out there that explains it so well for people who aren't mad keen on psychology to understand and to have such practical tips that actually seem to work. Like the, the luck school part at the end of the book is, is amazing. I think for that to be written 20 odd years ago and still be relevant today, I've, I read a lot of self-help books for, for my job. And it's, it's one of the best that I've ever read, I think, in terms of like the most practical ways of doing things. Well, it's very kind of you to say that. I mean, I, I do consider it a little bit of a trailblazer. I mean, we are going back. I mean, it was, I think it was published 20 years ago, but we actually wrote it a little bit before that. Mm. And there really wasn't much in the way of popular psychology out there at the time, and certainly nothing that 
really bridge that divide between here's the academic stuff and here's some practical things. Yeah. And I think we were the first or one of the first to really try and test those practical things and, and to make certain they work before we put them in the book. And there is nothing in any of my books, including 59 Seconds and um, uh, and the other ones rip it up, which I wouldn't incorporate into my own life. That is always my bar. I'm never asking people to do something that I wouldn't be prepared to do. So, yeah, yeah I, it was very, very early on. And, and of course, one forgets, you know, same with 59 seconds, you know, things you can do less than a minute to change your life. Now, there's quite a few people doing something similar. Um, but, you know, I still remember the day that I came up with that as a concept. And it was very, yeah. very early on in all this stuff. Um, and it's lovely to see, you know, people build on these things and do different things and, and so on. Um, but it's also nice to think that, you know, we were in sort of into the yeah, marketplace fairly early. <laughs> yeah. It's um, the 59 seconds. I'm, I'm running a risk of ruining it for myself because I've just bought it. Um, but would you be able to explain that for for people listening to say if they, because it's quite a, it quite a short book, it's like 30, 40 pages. No, 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 no. Oh, is that a different, no. have I been conned then? I don't know. I don't. Oh, maybe I've got a different uh, one. <laughs> right. No, no, no. It's a full size. It's a, it's quite a big book. Um, it's it came about. So I like all these things. They, they it's after the chance meetings. I went uh, out for a coffee with a friend of mine who was a CEO, quite a successful business, and she wasn't very happy. And she said, "Well, you understand about this happiness business. Um, what can I do to make myself happier?" And I started to explain the theory. And she said, actually, I'm, I'm a little bit busy. Can you cut it down a bit? And, and I said, how long have you got? And she said, about a minute. And I thought, that's a kind of interesting concept. There's a lot of psychology that you can explain in less than a minute. And it's never been collected together before. It's never been kind of bundled up. It's spread out through vast amounts of journals and books and so on. And so I went to my publisher and said, here's my idea. You know, it's all these quick things, quick fixes. And people just hadn't done it at that, that point. So they got excited and they commissioned the book. And that was lovely. Uh, it wasn't going to be called 59 Seconds. The, the original title was The Magic Bullet. And I never liked that title. And then I was giving a talk I, before the book was published. And I said, um, there's things you can uh, doing less than a minute and uh, someone in the audience said oh you should call it 59 seconds and I, I said yeah. that's a fantastic idea much better title that's the one we went with and then it became a big YouTube uh, channel as uh, as well which recently it's been a huge uplift in those those videos um, so you know it's again it's another concept that stood the test of time um, cool. and it was lots yeah, of fun to put that. together actually that I'll was the fastest that was the quickest um right of any of the books i think that was written in three months when wow. normally they take about six so yeah it was one of those ones where as soon as i started to write it i realized it was all in my head um and that book knew what it was uh before i finished it sometimes with books you only discover halfway through <laughs> what you're actually writing yeah. uh, that one knew i knew what it was from day one okay and what are there like quite a few techniques within 59 seconds that uh, allow people to bring more happiness into their life or is it based off one is, is there anything you can oh, no, share no, it's, it's, every, it's everywhere it's about happiness about motivation it's about parenting uh it's about all these different motivation all these different things um uh, uh but quick techniques and all of them so i just went straight across the um the literature so you know if you're trying to lose weight for example uh one of the most effective things you can do is put a mirror into the kitchen it cuts down massively on unhealthy eating 
So it's wow. a really quick thing to learn, really quick thing to do, and highly effective. And the book is just full of all those sorts of, um, I guess we call them hacks nowadays, but we didn't have that word then. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll test you here then. You've, you said about motivation. I think that is people find motivation to be quite fleeting. Um, I understand it that to get motivation, you need quite a bit of momentum. And that means sometimes just going from a stop start. But what, what would the method be from 59 seconds to get people motivated? Well, there's a few things. Um, so I carried out some work on New Year's resolutions where we tracked people and then looked at the strategies of those that were um, especially successful. And the biggest thing, in some ways, the most obvious thing is to have a plan to break it down into small steps. And so funnily enough, the, the book I did just before the um, History of Magic book was on how we got to the moon. So it's where I interviewed the Apollo mission controllers, uh, this small group of people that sat at the heart of the Apollo missions. And it was pretty much impossible to get to the moon in, in, in seven years. And, and this group of people managed to do it. And I said to one of them, you know, how do you get to the moon? And he said the same way as you get anywhere, one step at a time. And, and it, what you do is break down that big goal into lots and lots of smaller goals and then go, can I deliver this? When can I get it done by? Because otherwise you look at the big goal, you get overwhelmed, you just go home basically. So that yeah. breaking down is incredibly uh, important. Yeah, and definitely. So that, that matters. In, in terms of sort of our everyday behavior, having a trigger happens. So for example, if you're trying to go running more, you don't go, I'll just go running tomorrow. What you say is that when the six o'clock news comes on, I'm going to put on my running shoes and I'm going to go running. That's my trigger. And what that means is that you know whether or not you're actually doing it when that happens. Otherwise, we become procrastinators and just put things off. Um, so that was all in the book about sort of um, uh, called uh, if then. So if that happens, then I do this. Yeah. And also in terms of procrastination, again, something in that book, which is caught on but i think the book is the origin of it is is the two minute rule which is just working away as something for two minutes means that you're yeah. far more likely to carry on and complete it um yeah. and so with procrastination our problem is we don't start things but if you start them you're far more likely to finish and i think that goes back to 59 although it's it's, it's sort of everywhere now yeah yeah definitely it's um it is such a a wonderful thing to know the two minute rule it's sometimes just getting yourself to do it knowing that it's so small it sometimes breeds feelings of like well, i can't even give myself two minutes i'm, I'm, yeah. I'm currently stuck in 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 that at the moment with a book that i'm writing i've just had my first big chunk of feedback i'm like wow this is going to be quite a long road um writing my like first <laughs> novel so i just I, I think having that reminder of the two minute rule is going to be quite handy um over, over yeah and also to, to, to keep going and and when you speak to successful novelists I and mean, i've never written any fiction at all but when you do my goodness you know the number of full starts they've had and you know writing 20 books before they get one that's a huge hit and and, yeah. and so on you know we learn by doing that's what we're really really good at um you know when i wrote luck factor that's my first book i got no idea what i was doing you know and, yeah. and but now when i look at a book i can instantly break it down in my head work out how long it's going to take me to do each section all that because i've just done whatever it is 15 of them um yeah. but yeah we what you shouldn't do or we shouldn't do is compare it's a lovely phrase compare you know our chapter one with somebody else's chapter 10 you know yeah. they, they got there by working their way through the book and and sometimes you look at somebody else and go oh my goodness you know they've written all these novels it's amazing i could never do that 
Well, the answer is at some point they were like you, you know, just setting yeah. out. Um, so they should be an inspiration, not not something that puts you off. Yeah, definitely. Has it has it always been because you've got quite a a nice simple way of looking at things of I mean it comes into now we'd be like oh you've got a lovely growth mindset but you've got a quite simple way of looking at things like well I'll just break this down I'll do this I'll do it 20 times and then I'll be good at it pretty much I mean fun enough that, that, that I haven't mentioned this anywhere else but um I I think I may be dyslexic and okay. and so uh, I think that has bought a certain kind of simplicity to looking at things. I, I don't like complicated sentences. If you look at the book, they're all very straightforward sentences. Yeah. And that means there's a certain type of nakedness. You have to have an idea which is strong and you have to express it in a simple way. You can't camouflage it with complicated or flowery language. Yeah. And so I, I, I think it's through my talks as well. They're very straightforward. And I think it's a helpful thing to have with nonfiction where you just kind of go, no, you know, th this is the idea. I'm not going to try and camouflage it. That's your idea. If it isn't strong enough, it gets booted into the long grass. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of simplicity, but simplicity is hard, you know, because it's very easy to be complicated and to camouflage and pretend something isn't, uh, something isn't and so on. Simplicity is surprisingly difficult. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, well, if you, they say if you don't understand something to the point where you could ex explain it to a five-year-old, then then you don't understand it. And that is one thing that I really appreciate about your book is, is you are incredibly intelligent and there are a lot of people in your position around the world who just love to to show that off in the books that they're writing. But you've you've done so by making it concise, which is, is an amazing trait to have. So I'd read a book by Malcolm Gladwell a while ago, David and Goliath, and he mentions about people with dyslexia in there. Um, and the like probability that people with dyslexia will go on to do something that's that's quite wild and, and be successful beyond the the point of normal for people and it's something to do with not having the academics to rely on in school which i'd, I'd love to know how that sort of showed itself in in your like early life but because they were dyslexic they couldn't rely on their um academics so they had to stand out in other ways in school so that's why someone like jamie oliver was like happy to stand up to the government because all his life he was like well i can't rely on some stuff so i'll just stand out has that sort of shown up in your life were you quite academic at school it's it, i should say i haven't had a formal assessment yet so I, I i may not be but um assuming i am uh i i was always quite i was always interested and still interested in ideas I love ideas. I don't care very much about spelling uh, or, or the words you use to, to even talk about it. I just love ideas. And magic, of course, is full of really, really clever ideas where yeah. you go, oh, my goodness, what a, what a wonderful way of achieving, you know, somebody appearing in a box or whatever it is. I love that. I love ideas. And so I think that's what really stood out for me as a, as a kid was just interesting ways of doing things, sometimes practically, but more academically. And to, to really get your head around an idea, I think you do have to express it or be able to express it quite simply. Um, and, and so I, most of my sort of early memories of, of um, being both at university and at the school was just thinking, what a clever idea. 
and, and often I come across writers like Stanley Milgram, social psychologist, where he expressed things so simply, but they were such wonderful, wonderful thoughts. I was really attracted to that. As soon as the language gets complicated, I kind of go, oh, I think you're just covering things up, quite frankly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's that. The other thing about that world is that you, you tend to be quite social. You tend to be, I, I think, you know, into engaging with others um, because it's not quite so easy to engage via text. So I, I suspect you, you you learn social skills early on as well. Okay, interesting. I'm glad I, I just wanted to um, touch on that. And I just think in terms of time, I'd like to spend the last last few minutes of this, just how, in, in your opinion, from the research you've done, would be the, the top three tips for people to increase the luck in their lives and hopefully start reaping the, the benefits of being a little bit more open. I would go with the Luck Diary, which was a, something we developed fairly early on based on quite a few strands of research, actually, which is this notion that often we get used to the very positive things that are happening in our lives and they become invisible. Uh, the, the analogy I sometimes use is that if you enjoy the smell of coffee, you go into a coffee shop, it smells great for 10 minutes and then it's vanished. You have to come out to go back in again. Yeah. And in the same way as that coffee smell vanishes, so we get used to the good things in our lives and they vanish. What the luck diary does is says before you go to bed, um, spend about 30 seconds or so jotting down either the best thing that's happened today mm-hmm. or something in your life you have a sense of gratitude for, whether it's your work or your family or your friends or your health or whatever it is, or something which used to happen but is no longer happening and you're grateful it doesn't happen oh yeah nice and that third one people forget actually looking back and going you know what i used to do this or this element used to be in my life and now it is uh and that i don't like the word programming but it it reprograms your mind to to remember those sorts of things and after about two weeks our research shows um people start to form a self-identity around them and that then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of being more positive so i think that's very important I would also argue, I think, second for flexibility. I think we all get kind of stuck in routines and they act like kind of blinkers on us. Yeah. So, you know, meeting different kinds of people, chatting to them in different ways. If you're an extrovert, spending more time listening, you know, certainly finding out about them. I think the best phrase there is, you know, tell me more. Become interested in other people. There's something to learn from absolutely everyone. Uh, going to work or college or whatever it is using different routes and the routes not always using the, the, the same way uh, eating different types of food watching a film you think you're going to hate all these things induce a sense of, of flexibility so i think that's yeah. that's important the third tip which is probably the tip i'm not supposed to say as a self-help <laughs> author is go and read somebody else's book i the the still, still the greatest <laughs> book albeit dated now um is dale carnegie's how to win friends and influence people yeah uh, it is a superb book it pains me to say it as an author um but it is and some of the ideas in there so simple extremely effective and i think all of them kind of underpin a, a happy productive and, and lucky life so yeah i always kind of direct people um towards carnegie yeah yeah i agree with you there richard it's uh it's it's one of one of the best books out there and obviously it's sold a billion copies and the one thing i always remember is is that someone's name is the sweetest thing they will ever hear so if you do really want to get on someone's good side you say yes i i agree with what you're saying there richard <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's thinking. Um, that's that's in there. I mean, the Stephen Covey thing of starting with the end in mind, I find extremely yep. helpful as as well. Um, Carnegie, in, it's not in How to Win Friends, it's in How to um, Stop Worrying and Start Living, uh, is the idea of, of living when you're worrying about something, living in watertight 24-hour day moments. So can, can I get to the end of today? Yeah, let's make that watertight. Don't worry about tomorrow or the day after. Let's just worry about now. And, and can I get to the end of the day? Yes, I can. And normally that's true of each day. And so you you put off this kind of worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, next week or next month um, by kind of living in these watertight compartments for 24 hours. So there, there's some great tips in, in some of these other books. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for recommending other books. It's usually one thing I say, oh, what would your, your top three other books be? So we've got from there is there any any other non-fiction you'd you'd recommend that's not yours i know it wouldn't wouldn't be right but um yeah probably not in terms of self i don't actually read too much of other people's work you're always a little bit worried about it bleeding into your own mm. um i in in terms of other books in terms of magic stuff um uh, yeah i mean most of my non-fiction uh i guess yeah, if, if i was to go with a fiction book um I would go with Carter Beats the Devil, which is a book all about magic and uh, and the golden age of magic and a uh, magician called uh, Carter's work of fiction. Uh, but it's, it's very lovely. Uh, it's very great. I can't think of the author. Um, uh, but uh, that, that's where I would go to for um, some kind of light relief, as it were. Yeah. OK, nice. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to check that out. Uh, thank you so much, Richard, for coming on. It, it's honestly, it's amazing to have the opportunity to chat to you like i said I've, i feel very lucky very fortunate and i'll be writing it down in my luck journal um tonight but where <laughs> where, where can people um find you in any, any of your new works um coming out i'll, I'll make sure i get the uh, well the, in the, the description yeah the, the the history book with david copperfield is out right now um there's another psychology book coming out uh next year which i'm excited about in terms of where they can find me richardwiseman.com has got all my stuff on and talks and other um uh, sort of events like that as on uh, Twitter normally on at Richard Wiseman so yeah come along say hello and become part of that community so yeah and thank you very much for inviting me uh, on the podcast yeah, perfect thank thank you so much Richard well, thank you very much for listening to that episode of the podcast which was sponsored by BetterHelp and BetterHelp provide an online therapy service to millions of people all over the world including hundreds of a need to read listeners just like yourself. If you're finding yourself fed up with advice from friends or family members when it comes to your mental health and they haven't quite got the qualification to tell you the right things to do then therapy might just be the best thing you dip your toe into ever. Head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and you would get 10% of your first month of online therapy. So that is a need to read is a discount code, but that is at betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read. Now for anything else, a need to read, everything is in the description of this episode, but thank you very much for listening. You're absolute legends. Love you. Bye.